Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for the sort of, not historical, but traditional <laughs> stage 19 transition stage where every single ruler in the peloton tries to get in the breakaway. I don't know, I can't remember who won it in 2021. Maybe it was, I think it was Morich in 2021 because he was in a group with like Irviti or Pollitt. And yeah, was it Sturvin? And then last year stage, I can't remember, there was another one of these breakaways, huge break. And so we knew it was coming because it was really hilly. The sprinters teams got exposed yesterday on the actual easy sprint stage. So there's no yeah. way they're controlling this one. 173Ks from Morin en Montagne to Poligny. And it's got, you know, over 2,000 meters elevation. Just up and down all day on these horrible, draggy climbs. The last climb is the uh, the Ivory Coat, 2.3Ks at 6.2%, but it's actually 5 kilometers at near enough 5%. The categorization begins halfway up this climb, which belies how difficult it actually is. And then from there, the crest of that is about 29 kilometers to the finish, which is up and down a little bit, but again, not too difficult, mostly flat, straight roads. Um, tired peloton, Benji. And, mm -hmm. you know, after yesterday, to me, it was like, and everyone finally wanted to get in the breakaway because literally every team was jumping, including UAE, including Yumbo. There wasn't a single team not jumping, I don't think. Exactly. And also important, Alperson as well, trying to jump into breakaways with all yeah. the riders. At first, it was more that they were following attacks, but towards the later phase of the break formation, they tried making breakaways themselves. And... There was so much attacks, like, for like 50 kilometers. I swear the break formed with 120 kilometers to go, roughly, and this is after 50 kilometers of racing. Every time I looked at the TV, I still saw the same view. People attacking, people attacking, and the same people, the same teams, and Peterson was very active in the, in the break formation phase. We saw loads of riders, even Laporte, trying to get in the breakaway, but eventually uh, a group of eight got separation. Tish Benoit? Matteo Trentin, Julian Alaphilippe, Jack Haig, Mess Pedersen, Zimmermann, Bargill, Campenauts. When I saw that, I was like, quite a few teams missed out, but this is a really strong breakaway. So I thought, it's likely that this breakaway could actually sustain till the finish line. And then we saw people chasing. Israel who missed it, Unix who missed it, and I don't think Alperson started chasing at that. No, EF a little bit with Uran were chasing. I don't know who for. Because I what think do you Court, reckon, Court was in G3. You reckon that was a good idea from Unix and Israel at that point? Because you're, you're, you're in a lost position, right? You can either give up completely or keep riding. What's your take? Yeah, it's like, uh, for EF, I didn't really understand it because I didn't know with Court in G3 who they were going to try win the stage with. Yeah. I guess uh, Bediol in theory, but his win probability to, sp to, spend your whole, to spend your team like that, to me, it didn't seem worth it. Maybe Court was in G2, uh... For Israel, I get it. Like, 
you missed it. If you don't chase, ideally you'd want to be in it, but you're not going to get a better result if you don't chase and you're not going to win the sprint on the Champs-Élysées and you probably don't have a good enough climber unless Neelands is flying for tomorrow. And then you know X, I feel like they didn't need to. You know X were way too active today, I think. Um, took on too much responsibility in, in groups where... Why is it their responsibility to chase a break that Alpson missed with the green jersey and with top three, top two classic yeah. strider in the world, Vanderpool? Why is it on Uno X? They have Alpson have rulers too. They have Sir and Cry Anderson. Yeah, they should have been in that breakaway in the first place, of course. But if you don't get in it, then you got to make the decision whether you give up and let others do it or whether you chase yourself. And eventually, them chasing, what is well chasing, it ended up having a positive effect for them, though despite it not looking good at the first moment. Because they kept chasing and the gap stayed on 1 minute 10, even went to 1 minute at a certain point, 1 minute 10 again, staying around that mark. And one rider in that breakaway, Neil Spolit, he was in there. He's got that phase of a... Uh, everybody calls him like a shark because he, he got his teeth out all the time, but that's Nibali's nickname, so get out, my friend. Anyway, he was in that breakaway and he has the living moment of Tour de France Unchained. as in. He looks down because I think his chain had dropped and then he tries to get it back on. But in doing so, he pedals and he basically breaks his chain into, yeah, into pieces. And you see it like hang behind his bike. He steps off his bike. He's got that mechanical. And let's talk about the Shimano event for a second because the Shimano neutral service car, a service car that is in the race for you know, to help out that is not your team car because the Bora team car was not there, right? The Shimano car was there. So what do you reckon? Does a Shimano car have every single pedal type? Probably not I size. I think they gave him the, initially the right size wrong pedals. And then the next bike they gave him was wrong, no, right pedals, Shimano pedals, I think. And wrong size. It was like, it looked like a child's bike on Neil's Pollitt. So I don't yeah. know. They gave him like three bikes, but yeah, because the gap was like, didn't really get steadily to 90 seconds. I don't think they let the cars through. So, yeah, yeah. They, he was gone. He was out of the breakaway. I think there was one moment we glossed over, which was um, there was a split on the fast ascent where Pedersen and Lushenko were ahead, yeah. and Adam Yates was off the back after that in a split with UAE, caught napping. And Again. you could say, why don't Ineos go to the front, pin it for Rodriguez? Yeah, you could say that. Like, it's a gift, but... Break formation, the fight for that was kind of keeping the gap open anyway. But yeah, it's something to bear in mind for Ineos tomorrow. We'll talk about it for the preview of tomorrow's stage. Like surely Ineos see, like must try something because UAE and Yates, I swear Yates has been split off the back in break formation and asleep. Mate. Half the stages. It's a drinking game at this point. Like yeah. genuinely, if I had drunk in the last 20 days, every time that Yates is off the back, I'd still be pissed at the moment. Anyway. We were in the breakaway phase there. Pollard had his puncture. And not only did that chain break him when it comes to his ability in the breakaway, because he can't come back from that. The Peloton's a minute behind, then three bikes, then getting his own team car. Eventually, that's not happening again. But it also broke the breakaway because the breakaway, one guy less, bit of a motivation lacking as a consequence, maybe. Maybe that hit the mental side of the break. But the gap started going down from a minute to 50 seconds to 40 seconds to 32-ish seconds. And then I was like, this ain't happening. And 
did we see uh, other teams starting to chase behind or did the same teams close it? To me, it looked like the Peloton got to the intermediate mm -hmm. sprint. Yeah. MVDP did a lead out for Philipson and they used the intermediate sprint as a launch point. And a lot of teams, I think, expected it or saw it coming and basically it just completely exploded behind again with, you know, if you see Philipson and MVDP going and you have a teammate in the break ahead, you have to be <laughs> represented in their counter move if you're Christophe yeah. Laporte, which he was. And so it basically all out attack started again. And, you know, Laporte was up there, he had, even though he has Benoit ahead. Tom Pidcock was smartly filtering into that move. Mads Pedersen was all over it. Uh, even Gronewegen was there because he went for the IS. And so also Fred Wright and Morich were there because they had Haig already ahead. And finally, Israel, they didn't miss out, nor did Uno X, who were on the front. And so we basically have this split. I don't know if it was Alaphilippe that opened it. No, sorry, he was in the group ahead. I don't know who opened it, but huge split again. And the group ahead, I think almost every rider in the group ahead had a teammate chasing behind, except yeah. for Pedersen, Campanats, Bargi, Trentin, and Zimmerman. And so Benoit stopped pulling. Alaphilippe stopped pulling. Haig stopped pulling. And then it's like, well, we're not going to just pull these guys along. And so they basically <laughs> just allowed that group to come back over because you know X were, again, you know X were riding like they had the stage favorite in that group, Benji. I don't know who was... Because they didn't top 10 this stage, by the way. So basically, they have four riders there. I think Charmik was included. I think Tiller was included. Wadenschuld and um, Abrahamson, I think. Four riders yeah. in the group. And I think they were trying to keep it together for certain Wadenschuld and maybe Tiller for the late attacks. But every single time an attack comes, even the first time around, at the Intermediate Sprint, for example, they're not in that... Well, they are in that response there. But then afterwards, they go to the breakaway. And like you say, they come into a chasing position again. and they don't respond the second attacks come again. So every single time an attack comes, they're chasing instead of trying to get ahead of themselves, anticipating by, for example, a move that came later, like you said, the Campanarts clark move. If they're in there, they don't need to chase. Then it's all the other teams that need to chase. And that would have been a, a very advantageous move for them because now they're chasing again. They're burning through two domestiques trying to chase down Campanarts, or should we call them Krampenarts? Well, last time it was Krampenarts, but now he's delivering it. Why is it on them? Christophe Laporte's a favourite for the stage. He's got Benoit mm -hmm. in the group. Philipson's a favourite for the stage. He's got Van der Poel in the group. Bediol had, I don't know, maybe he didn't have a teammate. I think he did, actually. Um, Bahrain got three. Like, why is it on UNOX to chase this down? I don't understand. Um, I guess I they just think... took it upon themselves. Yeah, I don't think it is necessarily on them. I think they put it upon themselves because they missed the split again. And that's, that's, yeah, that's a decision by the team. I, I wouldn't stop, necessarily do it. <laughs> you just stop for 30 seconds. Yeah. Someone else will come. Because like, this is not at the final yet. This is not where group syndrome takes over. We haven't reached the final climb yet. And Intermarche back in the peloton chased initially. I didn't really know why. Because, I, you know, yeah, ideally you'd want numbers. But Zimmerman's won a Dauphiné stage. Zimmerman was in the last six riders in the GC group. On Col de la Lowe's, yeah. last six riders, like to me, it wasn't worth chasing. And they actually eventually pulled the pin because they weren't making a cross. So Yumbo just shut it down. They finished whenever. Um, forget about the peloton. 
And so we're coming up to this climb. Clark and Campanarts have a nice advantage, but we see there's a little roller before the Cat 3, and there we can see why the other maybe bigger teams were bluffing, because Campanarts and Clark lost 12 seconds on this speed bump. It went from 50 to 38 before the yeah. climb even started, when Charming was pacing. And I was like, okay, the other, group, the other guys in this group realized that Campanarts has been in the break yesterday. He's been in the yeah. early break today. He's cooked. They're losing too much on the climbs. Clark, they get to that climb. Clark gets cramps, contagious from Campanarts. He's out. And now, to me, it was very obvious what was going to happen. Bahrain had three in the first 12 riders entering the climb. Haig had been in the early break. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't going to probably go. And he's probably better for marking moves. It was very obvious to me that Wright or Morich was going to go. And Wright had just won British National Championships on a hellish course. Either him or Morich were going to tag onto a move. And I thought, if you're not in good position, which Benoit and Laporte weren't initially, Pidcock was not initially to mark those or whoever else they tag onto. Yeah. That could be the move. Exactly. And this happened just as Simon Clark was being caught. Maybe that was an indication to the, uh, to the group there. Okay. There's only one rider still ahead. We can bridge to him. Maybe we can still work with that person. And Kasparovsky and the companion of Campanards yesterday, he decided to uh, launch the move. Mohores jumped on the wheel. Ben O'Connor also jumped on the wheel. They were retrie the three companions. And I feel like, I'm not talking about this moment, but I feel like we've had moments in this race where I have expected Vanderpool to respond, and then he responds kind of later when the group is already formed. Also in the early breakaway formation, but also at this moment, I feel like there was a move a bit later by Vanderpool in the descent to get away at Laporte, for example. And I think it's more that he can't respond at that moment because I feel like he's just a few percentages under what he wants to be. Yeah, plus with some curious decisions at times, but you're right. Like, you'd think if Pidcock and Vanderpool, like, Asgren just won the stage yesterday. Moritz won San Remo, yeah. and he's won Tour de France stages multiple. He's like, this is what he does. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but to me, a group with Moritz and Asgren going on the last climb in the last 35 minutes of a hard race, the success rate of that group is going to be really high. And if you miss it, and you're with Pedersen and Philipson and whoever, and other people not cooperating, you know it's going to be a mess behind. So I was, you know, this is where, if Benoit had the legs, I don't think he did. He needs to be in there. Nalens needs to be in there. Pidcock needs to be in there. But Asgren's time was good, and maybe people, they called them by surprise, and O'Connor had the legs, and, you know, he can worry about what to do later. But it was... I think there was a lot of bluffing in that group, Benji, because the gap went to 23 seconds on the climb, and then suddenly, like, Laporte was attacking. Pedersen's pulling really strongly. The gap is down to 17, 15 seconds, and this was, like, classic Group 2 syndrome. I, I thought, by the way, no chance Group 1 ever being caught, ever, ever okay. being caught. they got Moto in front. O'Connor's going to pull full, because top three in the stage is fine, because, like, you know... It's probably the best result they can hope for. And Morich and Asgren are going to pull, and they're really aero. Asgren was an absolute truck yesterday. And as well, like you mentioned, like we didn't see MVDP just get on the front for Philipson and close this gap shut, or Benoit for, for Laporte. In fact, it was Philipson and Laporte themselves yeah. doing that work. Exactly. We had moves by those riders and Peterson as well. So it's kind of like up to the sprinters that... If you get over the Poggio in Sanremo, for example, we always talk about the group dynamic there. If you have teammates to still close down an attacker like Mohoric in the descent, 
that type of stuff. It kind of felt like that type of scenario where the sprinters had to start working because I, I think Vanderpool just didn't have it to be able to help full on. There were moments where he was skipping turns and I feel like it was more because he had to than because he wanted to skip turns. I feel like he straight up needed to recover. And we've seen that group cooperation between the rest of the riders, but there's always one rider that every relay skips a turn. And when you see that, there's also something in these people's mind like, okay, I've got Philipson in the group. I see that Vanderpool's now taking a, a skip turn. I feel like Krunwe, no, Mezgic is also skipping a turn at this point. I'm like, okay, my name is Alberto Betiol. I might as well ride at 90% or 85% instead of 100% because I'm getting roasted by these guys that are skipping turns anyway if I make it to the front in any way. So that combination, that effect is also what keeps the, the group behind. And at first the gap was closing, right? It went down to 16 seconds, 15 seconds, but then it started evaporating again. And it's partially because the group collaborates at the end. But before that, it was always attacks, eh? Always three oh. riders getting ahead, three riders there. And while those three riders did have temporarily a motorbike, because there was also a motorbike there for a bit, it didn't matter because like those three riders against three riders up front are going to then fall back towards the other riders that are trying to get back. And then three other riders will try and eventually they work together, but it's, it's not going to happen. Eh? They got into the valley. Yeah. And it was, this was a huge advantage for the group ahead. Everyone just goes crazy in the valley when they initially get off the descent. <laughs> Laporte goes, Vanderpool's with him and initially doesn't pull and says yeah. no. And I thought, I mean, you can play the Philipson card behind you if you're group one, but you've tagged him now. You have the group ahead. You've taken it down to 15 seconds. Surely the play is to get across with him and then you can sit on it at the end and play Philipson behind. And then he does start pulling with him, but by that time, Pedersen's closed it. And then Laporte goes again, and Philipson closes it. And, it's all, and Philipson was super strong, like he showed in Roubaix. He had those same legs today. He was incredibly strong, and um, Pedersen was incredibly strong. He just needed a teammate with him in the breakaway, and they just cannibalized each other. All these really, really strong guys, Philipson, Pedersen, Laporte, Bediol, they just couldn't get it together. And so... Yeah. Once that phase ended, and as you said, they start working together, they've just spent 15 minutes attacking each other. Group one has spent 15 minutes riding at a steady state tempo. And so, yeah, the gap just blooms. It goes out to 35 seconds. And that was it. And so now I was wondering, they're never going to catch them. What does O'Connor do now? And I thought, <sighs> will he stop at 5Ks? Will he stop at 2Ks? I thought... Like, once he's told it's 35 seconds, they're not closing that in, in three, four kilometers. And he just never stopped pulling, Benji. Exactly. Like, the, the last moment that he should stop pulling for me is roughly with two, one and a half K to go. Because then you still have I, I a, two, yeah. a range to recover before making an early move. Because if it goes to a sprint, O'Connor is losing this. Osgrain is probably one of the favorites on paper if it goes from a, a regular sprint with both at the same length from the, dist uh, from the finish line, but Mohoric is not too far after, uh, if I had to predict before the sprint started. And with O'Connor keeping up the pace, the break was definitely going to make it, but he's also limiting his own chances here. And, well, his attack didn't come at 2 kilometers, didn't come at 1.5 kilometers, didn't come at 1 kilometer. And I was thinking, is he actually going to attack now? Because it's, I thought it's right becoming late. Because if, if you attack at 500 meters to go, for example, you're basically doing a lead out. Yeah. If people are directly on your wheel. And what happens in the following 100 meters is 
We do see his move. We do see an act, an attack by him with roughly 500 meters to go, 550 maybe. And he makes that attack. And I'm thinking, Osgrin waited a second before he snapped towards his wheel. So there was a tiny gap, but Osgrin was still somewhat benefiting from the draft of O'Connor definitely in that point. But Mohoric was straight up on the wheel of Osgrin. So Mohoric is getting the best draft advantage in that scenario. And with Osgrin closing the rider head, O'Connor then. Osgin only has one decision he can still make, he just sprint for 400 meters until the line, and I know he can do long sprints, but <laughs> that's pretty long. <laughs> yeah, like, this is where the, the only way for O'Connor to win the stage is to stop really early, hope Morich doesn't trust his sprint, yeah. Osgin closes Morich, you counter, they look at each other. Only way you can win. And this is what happened to Morich. Morich was put in that position where the only way I think Morich can win is how it happened. A head-to-head 200-meter -head sprint, even with Asgren starting in front, he wins. I don't think yeah. Morich can come around him or even draw level. But a 400-meter sprint in the wind the whole time for Asgren with Morich literally glued to his back wheel, now he's got a chance. And that's what happened. Morich coming out of his wheel late, and it still wasn't a sure run thing. Asgren was still ahead. But he bike throws too late. Morich times it perfectly. Asgren was actually crumpled up, not fully extended yet. And just 30 centimeters after the line, his wheel is back ahead again. But Morich timed it perfectly. He, he just, he in these situations, that's why he's won so many big races. And he, he said, says, always says afterwards, I'm not Van der Poel, I'm not Van Aert, yeah. I'm not Pegacha, I'm not Vingar. What he means by that is he doesn't have their sprint he doesn't even have their two minute punch but he wins these races because he puts themselves in this situation he tags asgren on the right climb he works together he's aerodynamic he plays it cool not closing o'connor plays everything right bike throws right and wins his third tour de france stage he obviously also has good watts but that's what yeah. he means when he says that exactly but when the finish line was crossed the speaker started shouting asgren the tour tracker started saying Mohoric. You are the man with the magical eyes when it comes to finish lines. I, I want your honest opinion here. I trust you, Mr. Rouge. <laughs> Who did you think won the second after the finish? The second after the finish? Um, yeah. Or did you, wasn't, weren't you sure? Hard to tell I thought it was Osgren. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was... I didn't really have a strong view on it, actually. Um, Luke just texted saying it was Morich on Tissot. Um, I thought maybe Asgren, but yeah... It, what a win from him. Uh, Bahrain's yeah. third win of the Tour de France. They just keep winning breakaway stages ahead of Asgren. O'Connor third. That's still a good result for Asia 2R. Philipson fourth again. And Pedersen fifth. Laporte sixth. Mezget seventh. Bediol eighth. Trenton ninth. Peacock tenth. And yeah, you know, not rewarded for all their, um, all their hard work. Yeah, it's... When you, when you miss every move instead of being in every move, then this is a result you get as well, because this is a stage that is won by anticipation and being in moves and not by and being the cool. chasing team behind. Exactly. And that's what Mohoric did, for example. That's what Osgren did. They, they waited until the moment that they found was a good choice to go, and they went, and O'Connor, same situation. He went there. So I can only applaud those teams that were in Osgren, were Mohoric, were in O'Connor for doing that. Then again... You know, ex-domestiques, strong work today. 
Let that be clear. Yeah, yeah. But, but I would have saved it was Charmic. the right choice. I would have saved Charmic. One what? thing, though, when it comes to these three riders, would you reckon if Asgreen would have won today that it would have, it would have saved Tour de France for Quick Step, right? The second stage win? It wouldn't oh. have made them uh, like the... I thought yesterday saved it. Already? One stage? Uh, so that's, isn't that... Yeah. Keep the streak going. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, I like know what their the quick step thing. Yeah, I know what their objectives are. I mean, they won two in the, in Denmark, right? So yeah, they probably want two. Some st not all stages are created equally. Yeah. I think you could trade at this the stage yesterday and the. St I mean, this might be wrong. Might be wrong. <laughs> I think Age of Twelve very happy to win that stage that they won. The <laughs> well, the Calder low stage. I think that's a good stage to win. Um. Yeah. And what's another good stage? Mike Wood's one was pretty good on Puerto Dome. Yeah. Like there are stages and some are better than others. But, but when in you the look end, at, at the end of the year, you just look at the, you say, oh, two, two is better than one. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think the particular stage matters too much for the team's marketing side of it. But when it comes to, well, for the marketing, it probably matters. But you know what I mean? The, yeah, the pretended yeah. marketing. Oh, we want two to the front stages, that kind of thing. But then again, if a rider wins a Tour de France stage, they can, they can say they want a Tour de France stage, okay? Yeah, and of course. Philip, Philipson comes a bit short in the second group. I will say, like, Philipson's the best sprinter in the world. We, we have criticized his behavior in the race. But I also really like how he's a racer next to a sprinter. And the way Grunewagen as well raced today, he tried yeah. to bridge groups and so forth. I like seeing that from sprinters. That's something different. And it's similar to... Guadalajara, Vuelta, that major echelon stage that was one of the fastest uh, stages ever recorded in the Vuelta a few years ago, that Philip Gilwer won ahead of Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett, that stage was also truly amazing to see him so offensive in that stage. So that, that's a banger of a stage, by the way. That, that's a stage you need to rewatch if you're a cycling fan. Guadalajara in the Vuelta 2019, I think. Yeah, but anyway, stage 17. That was a masterpiece. Anyway, today was a, a classics day in the Tour de France. It was, well, finally, because I feel like the Classics guys and even the Punchers haven't really, it hasn't really been the Tour de France for them. Like, Sturvin keeps getting in breakaway. Like, Sturvin, yeah. by the way, how many breakaways Sturvin got in? And then today he's not in the breakaway he can win. You know, it always, or Cavagna, it's always curious to me, like, the riders that have tried to get in these breakaways that don't suit them, and I'm like, you got to save. That's what I thought Court might be doing. you got to save for this stages that suit you a little bit more or Vanderpool for example like Vanderpool kept getting in these impossibly difficult breaks and then he, he seemed cooked today yeah but when it comes to well Vanderpool I agree but when it comes to Peterson for example would you reckon that he would have had a larger chance of winning with a tug buddy for example if a Kirsch was there I think yeah, yes for sure or Sturvin because it makes it so much more difficult if you're as a Peterson Alone because he had to attack on the hill that Asgreen and so forth, and because oh, he missed he was, that move, he was all over it. He, he should have. He attacked the with Luchenko at the start, yeah. solo basically, because he was pulling, and then he's in the group, initial group of seven or eight that Pollard had a mechanical out of, and he's doing a lot of the pulling, and then he's closing. Like Pedersen was on one today, he just was isolated. Um, but that's how it is. That is how it is. Morich and Bahrain, perfect timing and get the job done. And, and Askren was co cool about it. Anyway, tomorrow's stage, stage 20, uh, from Belfort to Lamarckstein. The uh, ASO and probably all us fans would have hoped that GC was a little bit closer than 
it currently <laughs> is amongst the top two for this stage. I mean, that's why they designed this and put it there instead of a TT or something. 134 kilometers long, and it has, it's a very important stage for the KOM battle, for starters, because it has, first of all, a Category 2, Ballon d'Alsace, 11.5 k's, 5.3%, 5 points. Descent, then another Category 2, 5 k's, 7%, then another Category 2, 3 k's, 8% in the first 60 k's, then a Cat 3, the Col de la Schlucht, we're in the Alsace region, 4.2 k's, 5.1%, steady, easy descent before actually quite a hard climb. The Petit Ballon, 5.5 k's, 8.7%. We saw the combination of these two climbs in the Tour de France Femme Vec Swift last year where AVV went crazy. Check out the preview, by the way. We put it up yesterday on podcast players and YouTube for the Tour de France Femme starting on Sunday. But yeah, 9.3k's, 8.1%. That's difficult. Descent straight into the Platz of Arsel, 7k's, 8.3% with a 6k, 7k plateau on top, low altitude, high, high gradients. What's happening tomorrow, Benji? Climbers breakaway. Climbers breakaway on the first climb, I would say already. That's a breakaway formation climb. We've got it early on. The time before the climb is not big enough for there to be a true ruler breakaway up the road again. So climbers are probably going to wait for that climb to really, really try and form that breakaway. Maybe, maybe it forms with a, a proper gap, maybe not. I've got an interesting question for you. Because like, Jumbo Visma, obviously Vingegaard is now 7 minutes 35 ahead of Pogacar. He's 10 minutes 45 ahead of Adam Yates. What do you reckon? Because like, if you're Jumbo Visma and you see the stage, is there a risk with Vingegaard going for the stage? Because like... How does he win? Well, he wins if Jumbo makes it hard and he attacks on the final climb. And then it depends on whether Pogacar is the same form as three days ago or not. Nah, Pogacar will be better, I think, unless he's sick. It's not so, that hard. It depends on that factor. And if, if they believe Pogacar indeed will be on the same level as he was week one, week two, then then Pogacar is the favorite from the GC group. But otherwise, you well, might as well go on the break. What, sorry? I thought Pogacar would try and get the breakaway. I, I don't see Yumbo letting Pogacar in the breakaway at any point. Sipka's in the breakaway. I like it. For sure. It no, so that's what I think Yumbo should do. They got to put one of Kelderman or Koos in the breakaway, preferably Koos, with Benoit or Van Barla or whoever. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think they should do. Probably Laporte would be a good one to go on the breakaway with Van Aert not here. So yeah, I think they put Koos in the breakaway is what I would do. He's on... He's ninth in GC. So Gal will be in the breakaway. Back to KOM. Ciccone leads that competition by six points on yeah. Gal in second. I think AG2R will want to go for that and the stage with Gal. So he will try and get in the breakaway. Vingegaard's on seven points behind him. I don't think Vingegaard's going to win it. And so I you have all so these... Either. No. You got all these cat twos and threes before the category ones with five points on offer. You know, Ciccone, he'll be in it with Trek. And he'll be in it with Schielmoza pulling. So I think the break on that initial first climb, it's going to really kick off there and be really, really hard. And because Gull will be in it, and mm -hmm. on GC, he's on he's eighth, right? Then probably Godou and Martin will be in it. That's the rider ahead and the rider, the two but riders behind Koos. And then there's a gap, another three minutes to Hindley in seventh. I think Koos got to get in a break. The thing with... Hindley being ahead of Gull means that if Gull's in the breakaway, then Bora's going to start riding behind, and you suddenly got a race that it's closer than 
if Gaul was not in the breakaway. So that's going to be a curious one, how Hindley responds to that, yeah. whether he tries to follow Just gets Gaul, in himself. Or whether he actually tries to get a different situation like that. Because if Hindley goes in the break, then Bilbao will do it, yeah. and then Simon Yates will respond. Then at that point, we might end up with everybody in the break, except for, <laughs> for Pogacar and Vingegaard. Maybe. <laughs> Which one? Like, I'd love it. <laughs> but it kind of happened the other day, where Hindley missed it. Yeah. And so he got leapfrogged, and Kuz missed it. And so Yates, Bilbao, Guru profited. And so I think Hindley has to respond himself, because his team looks mm -hmm. looks weak. Buchman got dropped in break formation today. Jungles doesn't look so good. I think he's got to respond himself. But yeah, Gal will jump in. And then I think Hindley responds, and I think we're going to see a lot of fighting from these guys in the in the lower end of the top 10 in GC, a lot of moving. Um, do you reckon UAE will try and control the stage for Pogacar if they do believe he's back in war first and second week form? Because he said he wants to win today's stage, but do they have the confidence to put an entire stage of tempo in that? And that also makes the race a bit harder for Adam Yates, maybe? Because he also wants to secure his podium. Because they want both on the podium at this point. They're not trying to win That's anymore. Priority, They're trying to secure second and third now. I think keeping Yates on the podium is actually above stage win in, in, the, in the priority list right now. Uh, yeah. I think they really want the two on the podium. And, you know, Ineos didn't... Ineos had a gift maybe today. Not really. Rodriguez is one minute 15 behind Yates. Now, we've yeah. seen in the Vuelta on an easier stage than this in 2021... Lopez lost it all, lost it all in 2021. And also Bernal was on the wrong end of that too. Yates also messed up the final and that gifted, not gifted, but they didn't tell him that he was not actually that far behind Hague and Hague ended up on the podium. So, yeah, you know, uh, Ineos have to try to get Rodriguez on the podium. Who Like he's got an, does it really matter if he finishes sixth instead of fourth? Does it really? I think they might be scared to lose fourth and therefore not oh, go for third all out. It's like, what are they going to do? Are they going to try and launch him to a satellite rider with roughly uh, 80k to go on the on the Col de Cospierre? Because that that's very early. Because then the climb afterwards is a rolling terrain climb. So that's where you'd like Anything. somewhat of a, Try a, a domestique. Because if you wait until Petit Ballon, then you probably can't take a minute and a half. So the only chance that you can gain that time on Adam Yates is if you go really early. But yes. that's a huge risk. Is it? I think it is. You I'd attack. rather finish fourth and sixth. But you attack, right? Adam Yates marks yeah. you. It doesn't work. Now what? Well, you still get, get to finish the stage. God that's behind you in GC? Fucking no chance they will. As no in, chance. What do you mean? As in, if he goes into the attack and he gets caught on the last two climbs, then, you, then he's destined to get countered, eh? Sure, yeah. But, but at he's that in the, point, but he's got a satellite rider. He's in the wheels. Yeah, I would enjoy seeing it, but I don't think they have the balls for it. Okay, got Ineos. Got to try something. Um, Yates has looked very suspect in break formation and early part of stages. UAE could be splitting their priorities between Pagancha stage win and Yates. I think there could be. I think you know a lot of their guys look tired today. Get Frailer in the break, get Pidcock in the break, get Castro in the break, get Fiatu in the break, try and get some guys in the breakaway, do a lead out for Rodriguez on one of these middle middle of the middle climbs and, and just try something and try some chaos because no one remembers fourth, but podium is legit. And I think, you know, it's a there's a reason this stage is here. And I think there's some very tired people here. But yeah, listen, maybe 
That's not to say that fourth is a bad result for Rodriguez. That is a very, mm -hmm. very good result. I'm just saying if you're Ineos and you have a chance to go for the podium in your big organization, I would try something. If I am Guillaume Martin, you know what I would do on this stage? We've seen a pattern we go do the last three weeks. We see that in the early parts of the stage, he's getting destroyed, and then at the end, he's back. <laughs> yeah. So if you put your entire Cofidis team in making the first part of this race <laughs> first as climb. hard as possible... He's a Gire. <laughs> ...to drop Godu... You should. ...and then Guillaume Martin is a Gire, go on an adventure in the breakaway, try and get as far as possible away from Godu... <laughs> <laughs> to try and see if they can bridge that five-minute gap. That is real cyclismo. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is cyclismo. Um, I think Gala is going to go for KOM points and it's going to cost him. And the climb is not as mm -hmm. long as the other big climbs. Ciccone too. My pick for the stage is Chris Harper. Uh, he was in the last four from the breakaway on Coldwell Lowe's. Very strong. I think he's going to get the freedom to go in that breakaway. Mm -hmm. Maybe with Yates trying to also trying to attack. I mean, Yates is only Yates is less than two minutes behind uh, his brother. Probably won't attack. I don't know. But um, okay. I think Chris Harper for this from the break. I'm doubting between two people: Tobias Holland Johansson and Georg Zimmerman. Zimmerman was oh, so yeah. good on Cordula Laws. You mentioned him. Would work here. I'm gonna go for Johansson because I feel like I want the riders at UNOX to get something out of this race after what they've been through today. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go with Johansson. I think it's a good stage for him and, a, and a, maybe an easier stage for him to get in the breakaway if he picks the right move. But yeah, I'm keen to see what happens tomorrow. Maybe that's a bit of a damp squib. Like um, the damp stage... squib? Yeah, I even forgot myself what that means. <laughs> a situation or event which is much less impressive than expected. Okay. And so last year's welter stage, which uh, Carapaz won, where yep. Ayuso should have won. It could be that one, I think. It could be that one. But we'll see. Um, we'll see how it goes. Maybe it kicks off. Maybe Vingegaard loses GC with Pogaccia coming back. Who knows? I doubt it. Um, maybe Pogaccia <laughs> wins the stage. <laughs> Seven and a half minutes. Who knows? But yeah, keen to watch a good break, good break fight tomorrow f between some good climbers. Maybe Clement Berthe gets up. I don't know. But I hope you enjoyed the podcast as always. We'll see you with the recap of the Alsace Medium Mountain stage tomorrow. Until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 